from the News Channel 5 Network. This is Inside Politics. Hello, everyone. I'm News Channel 5's political analyst Pat Nolan. Welcome to Inside Politics. One of the 13th Tennessee General Assembly returns to Nashville next Tuesday on January 9th. What issues lie ahead for lawmakers and what matters remain on their agenda from last, from last year? Here to discuss all that with us is the Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton from Crossville. Mr. Speaker, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. Jim uh, Asili was back in town as recently as last August in a special session. That session was held in the shadow of the worst school shooting in the state's history. It ended with no real significant change in the state gun laws, but there was a narrow slate of bills that were passed to spend more money towards public safety issues. Mm-hmm. Now, many people, including yourself, were not completely happy with the outcome of the session. Uh, five months later, is that still on your mind? Is it still on the mind of your members and your caucus? Yeah, I mean, I think there's bills that we passed on the House floor that we're going to reintroduce and, and hopefully uh, have the Senate uh, work with us on those bills and hopefully get some of those things passed this session. You mentioned this, the Senate. You and Lieutenant Governor Ramsey, no, excuse me, General McNally, particularly with eyes over a bill that you had passed in the House. It was your bill. Uh, the senators refused to even consider it during the special session. What would your bill do in terms of the area of keeping guns out of the hands of those who shouldn't have them? And have you and Lieutenant Governor McNally reached an agreement about this bill? Well, I mean, there's there's a, a lot of different bills. And, and if you're talking about the blended sentencing one, I guess, juvenile blended sentencing, what that would do is, is allow us to have more accountability on juveniles, which would have helped. We worked with DAs across the state and law enforcement and others. And Look, we're going to sit down. We're going to work with them again. We'll see what it is. I think the Senate um, wanted to do more bills come January than they wanted to do in August. So we're going to come back here next week and, and see what we can do. Now, the whole idea of having getting guns out of the hands of people who probably don't need to have guns in their hands uh, became quite real and tragic not long after the special session ended. There was a Belmont University student here killed by a stray bullet fired by someone who'd been arrested before on gun charges. Although that person was found in common stand trial, mm-hmm. they also didn't qualify for some reason to get any kind of mental health help. So he was back out free on the street when he fired that stray gun. Um, so what happens? Is is that the kind of bill that the legislature would be interested in doing, or is this going to be another bill or another session where no special bills about no 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 bills about guns or no change? Well, I think um, I've seen uh, Majority Leader Jack Johnson from the Senate side um, visit with Brent Taylor and visit with the news and say they're going to offer a, a criminal justice package on their side. And Brent Taylor's on the same page that we are on the House on on proposing legislation on that one. You have individuals who are declared incompetent, which then means that the DA and the judges have to uh, let them go, and they don't meet the the threshold to be involuntary committed. So those are two separate issues that have combined into one. So there may be two separate bills, but we will pass something to solve that issue. Several, since the, since the special session, there have been several public opinion polls that have come out that show a bipartisan majority of Tennesseans, Republicans, Democrats, and independents favor some kind of at least stronger gun storage bills, maybe some kind of red flag law, although that mm-hmm. could be defined in a lot of different ways, and maybe right. some other gun reform laws. Now, those surveys also show declining support for the GOP-dominated legislature. In fact, one of the polls shows you at 42%, which is in politics is considered to be blue water. Um, is there more support in your caucus this time? You mentioned that conversation going on between the Senate. Is there more is there more support this time for some kind of real gun reform or something that changes actually gun ownership or gun ownership responsibility? No, we're not, we're not we're not going to infringe on someone's Second Amendment rights. There's a difference between a criminal and there's a difference between a citizen who is not a criminal. And those polls, I could I could ask a question and I can have a, exactly opposite that. What, if you're referencing the Vanderbilt poll, that Vanderbilt poll, in my opinion, leans a lot more left than they normally do. And so it more uh, left to middle instead of being a middle poll. They've always skewed a little bit more on the Democrat side. We're not going to sit here and infringe on someone's Second Amendment right. Red flag laws are not going to pass in the state of Tennessee. Gun storage law, that's a backdoor approach to gun registration by the Democrats. 
another situation that's happened just in the last couple of days is another school shooting, this one out in Iowa. I think it's the second one already this year, and we're still in, in single digits in terms mm -hmm. of number of days this year. Um, is, does that mean we're going to have more conversation in this session about more things to do to fortify our schools, and what else can you do to make the schools stronger to keep people from going? Because obviously it appears students or outsiders can still pretty well find a way to get it, even in states that you wouldn't consider to be real blue states like Iowa. Iowa's a very red state. Yeah, I, I don't know the particulars of that case on, on that student and how they were able to bring something in. You know, and, and what we passed back in special session is, and back in regular session last year is there's SROs in every school in the state now, public, and we put money in to have privates to hire SROs if they want. We also put money in to enhance uh, safety protocols and safety procedures at the schools. We put more behavioral health liaisons in schools. I think you'll see the governor propose more behavioral health liaisons for schools to try to help. And so I think we're gonna go on, on that route and continue to work on it and, and work with the, the school systems as well as law enforcement. Early in this session, because this is a re-election year, we'll begin to see incumbents if they haven't already announced their intentions, whether they are going to run or not. Sometimes they talk to the speaker in, in advance and maybe these are, I'm maybe not be thinking about it, so there's not a complete surprise. Do you expect to have a larger, this has been a tough couple of years for the legislature, tough couple of years for, for everybody in, in, in government on all levels. Do you expect this to have a larger number of people deciding I've had enough. I'm not going to seek another term. Well, I think you've seen some members on the on the Democrat side. I also, they're not running for election. There's been a couple on our side that says they're not running for election. You know, I think the people and the length of service that people are willing to serve or are able to serve now is less than what it was 20 years ago. You used to see people who've been here for 30 years. I don't think that's the norm anymore. So you will see people who who decide that my time, their time is up. When you come back this time, you'll be operating under rules as the House always does. You had such some slightly different rules back during the special session, though. A couple of them are controversial about limiting the number and even the size of uh, of, of signs in the gallery and in committee meetings, and also some about what how what how people could talk about bills on the floor, whether the House Speaker thought perhaps they were straying away from that. Which rules are you going to operate in order for this session? Well, we're going to have a rules committee meeting on Monday. We'll we'll propose some. I think the Democrats are going to propose some, but. Look, even the rules of special session were no different than what Congress has. In Congress, you can't go up into their balconies and hold signs. You can't disrupt the proceedings. You actually have to get a ticket to sit in the balcony in Congress. You saw signs of Bernie Sanders. People were holding signs out in front of his office. They had them arrested and, and zip-tied and, and led away. I didn't hear the Democrat side complaining about Bernie Sanders doing that. So it's a fascinating argument that Democrats like to use, but we have to have decorum in the House. The Speaker of the House, Kevin Sexton, is our guest on Inside Politics. Back to continue our conversation, talking about the next session starting up next week on Tuesday. Back to continue our conversation after that. We are back on Inside Politics with our guest today, Tennessee State Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton, as the legislature comes back into session next week. This is 113th to be their, their second regular session. Um, Mr. Speaker, another source of tension last year was a raft of bills passed to punish and limit Nashville's power and resources and responsibilities. Metro has sued in a lot of those cases. It seems they've prevailed in almost every decision rendered so far, although there's still some higher courts that's going to be appealed to. Why is the state coming out on the losing end of this? And again, this is not being done just by Nashville judges. This is under three three panel judges, which includes representatives from all three grand divisions. Yeah, I mean, look, the three panel judge, you know, we have a fair shot with that. I'm not sure we get a fair shot in the Davidson County court system. But to say that we we're punishing or being punitive, I think, is the, the, the narrative that's out there. But I don't think that's accurate. What we're trying to do is you have a regional airport that represents the entire uh, region of Middle Tennessee for the most part. And so that's a little bit different. You're looking at the Sports Authority where we're asking for some appointments on the Sports Authority. The reason we like to have that is because we just made a huge investment in a stadium. We're making a huge investment in the TPAC building who 
may be going over there who we think is going on the East Bank. So asking for us to have people on a board where we have a huge investment of state money, I don't think is too much to ask. Why weren't you able to sell that to the three-judge panel? Well, that, that one's still being heard. So, you know, but there's always the next process. And so you can always appeal it and you go through it. We, you know, we won the, the redistricting court case on the House side. We were fine. So sometimes you'll get a favorable opinion, sometimes not, but you have the judicial system and you can always appeal. The Senate part of the redistricting may have to still be redone again. That's one of those things about how long do you stay this time may depend on what comes out of that. Because currently, when you first started earlier, earlier last year, it appeared you're going to have to do it by the end of January. That's now been, since it's gone to the Supreme Court, that could help, but you could still be up there later this spring trying to figure out what you're going to do. That is possible. I mean, we'll, we'll defer to the Senate. It's their maps. And so we'll see they're appealing that decision. There's, a, I believe, a, a stay right now on having to redraw it. City of Nashville says it spent about $800,000 in taxpayer money to go through with those particular lawsuits. They've mm-hmm. got, how much money has the state spent? I don't know. We have an attorney general that's already paid with a paid staff. So. That, that those are already calculated. Yeah, but they haven't used any outside resources, inside uh, council. My understanding is on on those cases, not on some other ones they may have. Do they need, it seems the state has come up short because they seem to be in violation of what's called the home rule provisions in the state constitution. You can't pass a bill that specifically goes out of, after a particular county or a particular, uh, in mm-hmm. a particular city. That's what they say. So do you need a different legal strategy? Have you talked to the Attorney General about changing strategies since you haven't been able to win at least on No, I mean, look, you can go back and look at the governor's ESA plan. Hopefully we'll talk about school choice here in a minute, but his ESA plan was a, a, a couple of counties depending on the size and failing number of schools and so forth. And they tried to make the argument that that was against home rule and the Supreme Court actually decided that it wasn't. So you think the state strategy ultimately may be to appeal this up to the Supreme Court, which seems to be among the more conservative Supreme Courts, at least in recent years. Is that where you Hope you'll ultimately win. It's very possible. Because you lost both those. The, the voucher bill was uh, defeated in both the trial court and mm-hmm. the appellate court. But, but then overturned in the Supreme Court. Right? Maybe what your strategy is to Could get be, I mean, it's possible. It's up to the AG. We have to have conversations with him. But it's really about his advice and his legal opinion on what we should do. Now, some had said with Nashville now having a new mayor and a mostly new metro council, this would be a good time to seek to repair those hard feelings that have developed between the state and Nashville. Is that on your to-do list? This well, I, I've, I've met with Freddie. I've had lunch with Freddie and the, and the mayor. And, uh, and and so we're starting to work on that relationship. And, you know, that my my role is what I've, the conversations I've had. It doesn't matter if you're for or against something. Let's just have an honest de- debate. And if you're against it, be against it. If you're for it, be for it. But don't switch midstream and not tell us that you switched your opinion. When did that happen? I, I'm not going to go into the past, but we're moving forward. Okay. Not um, not with Freddie, so. Um, rather than seeing a ceasefire of pieces, there's spec- I hear there's speculation that the Republican supermajority may look to draft still more bills that Metro will consider to be punitive against them. Is that on the agenda? I have no idea. I haven't talked to members about any of those types of things, but I've been focused on, on different issues, uh, juvenile uh, justice and school choice and other issues. You mentioned the airport. Uh, rather than you've you've lost that bill, you've lost that law so far in the lower courts. Mm-hmm. But now there's been speculation that there's going to be a bill filed that would basically take over all those airports in the, in the state to, uh, and that would certainly get around the, the whole rule concerns. But on the other hand, why do you want to pick a fight with every airport authority? I'm not, I'm not sure that's picking a fight. I, I've heard from different airport authorities that they would like the state to have some appointments on their board. So I don't think it's assumed that all of them are adversarial to that aspect of it. And so I'm sure there's conversations going on. I haven't heard of any legislation, but I have heard uh, that there are airports who are okay with maybe having the state have some picks on. It does appear Governor Bill Lee's top legislative priority will be expanding the school voucher program. It'll be statewide in a couple of years if that passes. Uh, 
Right now, only three counties are in the program, Shelby, Davidson, and Hamilton counties. Um, you voted against the program when it first came in in 2019. What changed your mind this time? Because you understand you're for this bill. Yeah, well, this is not a voucher program. And so this is not the ESA program. This is a scholarship outside of the K-12 funding. So that's different than the previous one. A voucher was inside. This is called the Freedom Scholarship. This does not affect K-12 funding. The money does not follow the kid to um, the school under this plan. It's outside. So there's a, a lot of difference. But what I'm saying, what I believe is when I've gone around and talked to parents post-COVID, there's a lot of parents who want to have the capability of providing for their child and giving them the education that they think that they need to fit the needs of their student. This is one aspect that should be able to do that. There still seems to be plenty of opposition, particularly coming from teachers and school members. No, what about the school members and school board members in your area, the teachers in your district? What do you hear? Well, I met with the school board people, or school board and director of schools um, uh, this week. Look, what, what we're saying is is we're, we're proposing a solution, and, and part of it is school choice. We should not be afraid to allow parents to make that decision for themselves. What I find interesting from the Democrat side is they say it's okay for a wealthy person to take their kids from public to private school, but if you're low income or middle income and you can't afford it, you've got to stay in that school and because they're against allowing people, allowing money to flow. But they're only allowing the people who have the means to leave. And so they don't have an opportunity to allow the other people. Everybody should make that decision that's best for them. It's their tax dollars. It's not the state tax dollars. But the current program for vouchers is just for people that go to either failing schools or mm -hmm. schools where uh, they want to get That's why this one's different, and this is why this one's outside TISA. This is why I support this. And so you have the opportunity. Okay for the state to give money to people to send their, their, their children to private schools. I mean. Yeah, is it not your money? No matter, is it your money, Pat? No matter what the income is. Is it your money? Is that your money or does, the state's money? Is the Constitution allow you to uh, give money out to, to private citizens? Well, we just did it in special session when we gave uh, private schools the ability to hire SROs. So, yes. So, we can do that. Other states have done that. Other states have done tax credits uh, to allow that to happen. They've set up funds to allow that to happen. But to allow to sit here and say that a parent does not have the right to educate their kid how they think is best simply because they don't have the means, but you're okay with someone rich doing that. And we want to allow everybody to have that opportunity. Why should we not allow the parents the opportunity to make the best decision for their child? Tennessee Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton, is our guest on Inside Politics as the legislature comes back to go into session next week, back to continue our conversation after this break. We're back on Inside Politics today. Our guest is Tennessee Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton, as the legislature on her 13th General Assembly comes back in the session on the Tuesday, January 9th. Uh, Mr. Governor, I mean, excuse me, uh, Mr. Speaker, um, one of your representatives, one of your leadership representatives, uh, Jeremy Faison, says he has some concerns about the voucher program being open to everyone regardless of their economic status. He believes we have to spend the money for private schools, but there's nothing in the Constitution about supporting public, I mean, nothing about supporting private schools while we're supposed to do that this Constitution under the, under public for public schools. Is your concern that Jeremy Faison's saying what he's saying an indication that perhaps there's more opposition in your caucus to, to this bill than perhaps you are aware of? Well, first of all, it's not a voucher program. We just went through that the last segment. It's scholarship. It's outside of the TISA funding, so it does not affect K-12 through funding. The money does not follow the student. That's an important aspect of it. The second thing is members can, can believe what they want to believe. We've had conversations with a lot of members. We'll get there. When you, when you put legislation in, sometimes it changes. But the, the, the essence is, is we can have both. We can have good public schools and allow parents to have choice. Under the last 13 years, under Republican majorities and supermajorities and Republican administrations, we've invested over $3.6 billion annually 
of state money. We've gone from $3.4 billion in state appropriation for K-12 to $7 billion in 13 years. And we're still in the 40th. No, we're, well, for spending? Well, okay. But Florida spends the same as us, and they're number one. So what is Florida doing with the same for people spending of the state of Tennessee? And they're ranked first in reports of being the best attainment state in America. Under Democrat control, the previous 13 years, with the Democrat majorities in the House and the Senate, they only invested $1.4 billion. The Republican majorities have invested in K-12 through to an extent that's never happened in our state before. We can do both. We can continue to invest in K-12 through education and continue to improve it. But at the same time, we should be able to give the parents the ability to make the decision that's best for their child. Uh, on another issue, during this census special session, you and the Lieutenant Governor appointed the Joint Committee to study whether Tennessee ought to refuse receiving every year $2 billion, almost $2 billion in, in federal education funds. No other state in the country has ever decided that's a good idea. Why is it a good idea for Tennessee? Well, it's been done. It's, it's back to $1.2 billion. It's not $1.8 billion. So that was some misinformation that got put out. It's $1.2 billion. Um, what I will say is what we do know is the federal government now has a $34 trillion debt. $34 trillion. By 2050, they're going to be spending $1.4 trillion just on the interest if they do not get things under control. At what point does the federal government say we cannot continue? We have to cut spending, raise taxes, do a combination of both, or withhold money from the states. At some point, we're going to be faced with the consequence of an overrun, overspent federal government that's going to impose things on our state. Why should we not be there to, to look at the money that we're receiving, what those restrictions are, what the regulations are, what they're requiring us to do, what is our exposure, and if we can fund it ourselves, we're not saying that we're not going to fund the $1.2 billion, but if we can fund it with state dollars instead of federal dollars, why should we simply take federal dollars if it comes with different strings that are attached? So the biggest string you see this is that we might, the feds might ultimately decide not to keep the money. You said there was strings attached to this money, so therefore let's don't take it. And the string you say is the feds might one day decide, hey, we don't want to spend that money. Well, the feds, one day the budget's going to blow up. And at some point, how much debt can you continue to incur? The second thing is, as with the Biden administration, you see them, what they're doing with Title IX. They're trying to trump state law. We passed in the state of Tennessee that, that men cannot play women's sports. The Biden administration through Title IX is trying to impose its will and force men to play women's sports and force the states and the school systems to allow that. Was that mentioned much in the, in the hearings of, by the Joint Committee? I, I, they seem to struggle to find people to tell them why they should Well, because nobody wants to come and talk because they're all scared of the big, bad federal government. But look, what we do know is what we did find out in there is what the federal government does is they come to the Department of Education and they tell the state that you need to adopt these rules and these practices. So it looks like it's state rules that we have, but it's really the federal rules. So we're going to dive in with government operations and uncover all those rules that the federal government has that has forced us to impose. If the state says it has enough money to basically make up for the difference mm -hmm. if the federal money is not accepted anymore, why don't you spend that money to, re to reduce like the grocery tax, which is at 4% is one of the highest in the nation? We have reduced the grocery tax. We have cut taxes. We have done all that. But the thing is, it's, it's, it's a philosophical question. Should we take federal money if it goes against the philosophy of the state of Tennessee and its voters? What are required of us to do it? If the federal government says that the schools have to allow men to play women's sports, I can pull that all day long and I can tell you 80% of Tennesseans are in disagreement with men playing women's sports. So are we going to sit here and simply take money because we think it's free when they're blowing up the federal debt of $1.4 trillion if it goes to 2050 for interest alone and sit here and act like everything's okay at the federal government? Um, the lead administration recently unveiled the location, at least the initial location, for the freedom or choice lanes to be built operated by private companies that, that will relieve traffic congestion. Mm -hmm. 
One of them's at I-24 from Nashville to Murfreesboro. I-65, I think, from Nashville to Franklin. Um, but looking, the renderings they put out look more like conceptual drawings. They weren't anything close to being what you're going to actually build to construct. Uh, it was that enough to make people think, or lawmakers comfortable with those things? Because it, it, it doesn't appear to me they're going to be capable of handling that much capacity. So is it really going to get rid of congestion? How do you convince people that's going to be worth paying to do that? Well, I mean, it's up. It's, they would have to use it to pay it. And so none of the existing roads would be a choice road. So you would still have all the existing. All these would be new new roads that you would drive on that you would make that determination. Uh, we only passed that last earlier last year. And so we're still in the early stages. They identified where there is heavy congestion. They identified other projects across the state where we're going to spend state money. And so that's a work in process. I appreciate Commissioner Ely and his leadership and the governor and what they're doing and proposing and trying to solve the traffic issue here in Tennessee. Mr. Speaker, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Hope you come back during the session as well as you can. So. Anytime. And thank you for joining us on Inside Policies. As we close today, let me say that we hope to have the Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally on as well. He's recovering from ankle surgery. He gets back up on the hill. We'll have him on the program as he's come every year. That's Inside Politics for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you back here next time. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you again. Goodbye. Bye-bye.